Aloha, everybody. You're listening to Sit Down with Stand-Ups and Musicians. And this week, my guest is a very, very funny man. He's an extremely talented musician and performer, and I'm very lucky to have him on the show this week. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with King Kukulele. Mahalo, mahalo. Pututui loa itetoe la honu lipo itapailahi. All I know is humuhu nuku nuku apua. Ah, hei vahilihule. Oh, hui kona laia. Yeah, yeah, these are Hawaiian lyrics. How are you, King? I'm great. Good. How are you doing? Very it's nice, good. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, too. We were just talking about you were friends with Hugh Hauser. Yeah, I had mentioned Hugh Hauser uh, was at my very first um, band concert. Yeah. And for me, I, start, I started out doing solo shows. And then um, a couple years into it, uh, an old friend of mine, you know, and I put our heads together and we came up with a band. So I was able to incorporate the solo act into... Uh, you know, into a, a rhythm section and a band. We had vibraphones and lap steel guitar. It gave me the a little bit more freedom to to goof around with the audience and and not have to ha- not have to sustain the the musical underscore all the time. And I love you. Like, was he just in the Hugh back Hauser. of the audience? Like, oh wow, that's amazing! <laughs> you are playing Hawaiian music. <laughs> wow, I don't know what you said, but <laughs> yeah, it was it was cool. Was he a cool, dude? Did he like? He is a cool dude. Yeah. yeah. He's a cool dude, but I learned the hard way. I don't think he likes impersonations. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> he, he eventually did a, a, an episode of his show where, where I uh, introduced him to a ukulele group. So he came down uh, to Newport Beach. And the funny thing is, is that he's doing an interview show. There's no script. Right. So he starts it off and he says, okay, you ready? All right. No script. Let's, okay, ready? Louie, you're on? Okay, here we go. Hi, I'm Hugh Hauser. We're down in Newport Beach with Danny Moynihan. He goes, he goes, Danny, tell me what you told me when I saw you in the Hollywood Farmer's Market. And I, and I thought to myself, I said, well, I said, I'd love to have your gig. And he, goes, he goes, no, 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 not that, not that. And I was like, well, what did, you, what did you want me to say? He's like, you say that you know an incredible group that meets every Monday and they do have a lot of fun and they are great people and they really enjoy themselves, but don't say they play ukulele. (laughs) So I was like, oh God. So I thought, okay, strike one. I didn't know. I didn't know what the unwritten script said. And so I said, okay. So then he goes, Hi, Danny. Tell me what you told me. I said, oh, I said that I know this group. They, they're great. Every Monday they play. And, I mean, they get together every Monday, and they do this really fun, and I'm trying to not say ukuleles. And he goes, and what's that I hear in the air? <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, I said um, birds. He's like, no, 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 no. You say ukuleles. And I'm like, I didn't know the script. Nobody told me. I have no script. <laughs> The so, script that didn't exist. This, the invisible script. scripted. He'll have it. Yep. California's Gold oh, was the only, the only show written on invisible paper. <laughs> and that was funny. So at the end of the day, you know, everything was great. And we were saying goodbye. And I said, you know, you'll, you're the favorite guy for everybody that I know to impersonate. Yeah. They love to impersonate you. And he got real cold. <laughs> oh. <laughs> How dare you? Well, he's the best because... <coughs> He's the best because he just like is amazed by everything, anything that could have happened to him. Like, it could have been like just milk being poured into bottles, and he was just like, "This is amazing." <laughs> <laughs> that guitar only has four strings. Yeah. <laughs> I, that guitar's so small. What happened? 
You're never supposed to put a guitar in a gas dryer. <laughs> I, I have a feeling that he was very smart about it. Oh yeah, he had I to think know he a lot to I think he keep knew, conversation. Yeah, but I think he knew that people. He 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 might have been playing to the lowest common denominator, which is smart, you know. Yeah, it's it's like you know those people are out there that are just going to be asking the simplest of questions, you right. know. And so, and I think it was also endearing. But yeah, I, I, I seriously thought that guy has the greatest job, you know. And and on a darker note, I heard, that, I heard that that episode of ukuleles um, was very very popular. And evidently, he would sell these videos at the end of the show. Mm. He could buy them for twenty dollars. Yeah, I heard he sold a thousand copies. Wow, that's amazing. If you t- multiple multiply that, twenty times one thousand. That's over. That's over eight thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so he, I think that guy was making a lot of money. Oh yeah, you know, he had to talking been. about ukuleles and yogurt and <laughs> and dirt clods. And yeah, <laughs> just being blown away by everything. <laughs> Good for Huel. Yeah, and that's... and the great thing is that he has a name that's never going to end up getting sort of like confused in Google searches. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's not like. It's not like anybody else named Huel Hauser is going to end up being in a metal He's band. Number one search every time. <laughs> He's like, gosh, I was looking up Huel Hauser and this heavy metal band keeps coming up. The Huel Hauser experience. Yeah. Well, just to get back to what you do, you play Hapa Holly music yeah. from like the 1930s and 40s. Uh huh. And um, like for those of us who are listening and don't know what Hapa Holly music is, do you think you could give us super, a- super easy? Howley is a term that is uh, Hawaiian for the Mexican word gringo. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. And the Mexican word... Um, so it's kind of like offensive a little bit? or yeah, You know, that's a good question. Yeah. Gringo, I don't know. I don't hear people use the term gringo that much. But yeah, it means... Uh, Howley means like, you know, out like mainlander. Okay. You know, foreigner. Right. Or, you know, the white guy. And, and so... The, and hapa is a Hawaiian word for half. So half it's half... Mainlander, half Hawaiian. Uh, so Hapa Haole is half gringo, half, yeah. half mainlander. The other half is Hawaiian. So the stories of the songs are stories about Hawaiian characters, like the Princess Papuli mm-hmm. or the cockeyed mayor of Konakai Kai, and, um, or in the Sherman Brothers case, uh, Pineapple Princess. But, you know, the, and the other half of the music is sort of like mainstream American pop music from the forties. Yeah. It's basically like, they're kind of like pop, you know, pop jazz songs, right. you know, jazz standard. Kind no, of. I read about it and it's like, it's really interesting. Cause like there was Hawaiian music in the Hawaiian language, like pigeon and it was not in English at all. And then yeah. all these people in Tin Pan Alley just started making yeah. up their own like gibberish Hawaiian words over it. I don't like that. That's personally, personally, I don't know. I, I kind of drew the line for me personally at, was that true though, or is that what they're? Well, there's a yeah, there's a popular song, not popular, but I mean, there is a, a a known song by Al Jolson that he sang. Of course, I might I might be um, showing my ignorance. I know that Al Jolson recorded a version of this song. It's called um, Yakahula Hikidula. So for a New York you know songwriter, Yakahula Hikidula sounded like a Hawaiian word, and I, <laughs> and so I don't and you know and there's also. There's a, a, comic, a comic song, I think, from the 70s, I think, called Let's Talk Dirty in Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. And they make, up, they make up, you know, fake words. And, you know, even though I'm a white guy who 
a lot of times won't be taken seriously or I'll miss out on job opportunities because I'm not Hawaiian. So I, I will never, you know, be able to sort of like be taken at first glance as a, as a native. So people will worry that I'm, that I'm basically a, um, an interloper. But, but the thing is, I don't do gibberish. I actually sing real Hawaiian words. I don't speak that language, but I, but I, but I just don't want to sing gibberish. Yeah. To me, that's like going too far. So a lot of Hawaiian people will look at me and say, I don't think I could take this guy seriously. And then they'll hear me sing a Hawaiian song in Hawaiian language, and they'll think, oh, he speaks Hawaiian better than I do. He knows the stuff, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and that's happened quite a, quite a few wow. times. Uh, and, you know, and I think they also, uh, a musician, a Hawaiian musician will respect musical talent, you know, whether you're Hawaiian or not. Right. And then I speak the, I sing the songs in the native language and I think they like that. And these are comical songs often. Yeah. Um, but, but I do have a favorite love song that's not comical and it's in Hawaiian and it's just a great song, you know. That's so cool though that you like know this other language through music. Like you learn. Yeah, to do it that. is weird. That's it really is. cool. I don't I don't speak the language, but I but if it's in a song, I learn it the way it's, you know, written. Yeah. And how did you come to start playing the ukulele? Because it's kind of They're, not the most common instrument, I, I guess. My dad actually had a couple of ukuleles, and my uncle, who is a Jesuit priest, oh no, <laughs> believe it or not, yeah. was in a circus. Of wow. <laughs> a circus of priests, really crazy, and so I have eight millimeter footage of the circus being performed in our front yard in like 1972. Yeah, and he played. He was playing the banjolele. I think it was a banjolele or maybe ukulele. So I have a little bit of ukulele in That's my family. So cool, yeah, yeah, and um, so it's a, a Jesuit priest group of in yep. the circus. <laughs> yeah, and 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 it's funny because I have the footage and I can't remember the name of it, but. Uh, my uncle is uh, is Mike Moynihan in uh, you know Sacramento, and he um, what they did is they set up a backdrop. They just tied a backdrop up to our front yard, and the backdrop was probably like you know maybe twelve feet across, and it that was the entire setup. It was a circus that would perform through a curtain. Yeah. But there's this it's it's such a trip to see this eight millimeter footage of children in Anaheim sitting on the grass in 1972 watching this circus and with four guys <laughs> they would come out and do solo acts and, and and duo acts and then there would be like four people acts and they just kept this thing going and it was every it was some of the old you know arts juggling and mime um and music and storytelling and it was it's such a it's such a trip that we have this eight millimeter film of this that's you so know? cool that you have that footage so there's a little bit of ukulele in my family background, yeah. and I had these fond memories of it. And um, the next thing you know, I'm living in, in L.A., and I go through this devastating breakup. Oh, no. And my heart is broken yeah. you know, into, into small pieces. And it was the first time I'd ever sort of like actually been devastated like that. And I, I felt like I, I had two choices. And if I, I thought maybe I can work through the pain, you know, and yeah. maybe, maybe through communication and expression, I can, I can rebuild. And, and that was just not an option right. with the, with my, with my ex that just wasn't happening. <laughs> so I, my second plan was to join, to run away and join the circus, but there wasn't a circus. I just ran away and I traveled. 
Um, and I knew that I didn't have enough money as a, as a, as a struggling actor. I didn't have an, anywhere near enough money to live on the road. So I brought a guitar and I brought my dad's uh, baritone ukulele. And so as I, as I started like mustering up the courage to overcome my shyness and play in Paris on the street and on the train and, um, and, in, I, and, and in England, I was playing ukulele, but I was playing guitar. It was louder for street performing. But then um, I ended up getting a job in Ireland at a place owned by Bono. I read about that, yeah. Uh-huh. That's so cool. Yeah, and the thing is, the manager of the place, I was kind of like pushed in, in front of him by a, a friend in Dublin, and he said, well, yeah, you know, we have guitar players, and you know, they're, you know maybe, but it's not really that. Right. And my friend said, he plays ukulele too. And the manager said, oh, really? <laughs> and so the next thing you know, um, he says, come back in a week and I'll give you an audition. Wow. And the next day, I'm on the street on Grafton Street in Dublin and I'm having like the best time. It was like, it was like the best day ever. And there was a bunch of Spanish exchange students crowding around me. And what I was doing was I was singing, um, I'll give you an idea. I was singing this. And it would, and, and I was singing to the kids, Spanish kids, shake it up, baby, now. <laughs> a twist and shout. <laughs> come on, 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 baby, now. And, and, and it was like, okay, they thought this was funny. But then I'd get to the part where I'd say, ah, and you'd get like these ladies filled with, uh, it was a shopping district, and mm. they'd have bags with shoes and bags with dresses, and ah, 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 ah. And as they would be like, as they would be like right in front of me, yeah. and, they, and and they always insisted on walking between the audience and me on guitar, and they get right in between. I'd say, ah! and and their expression of disgust at my lack of talent and my utter and my utter tone deafness and everything was what made the audience want to stand and just crack up, and they were just like watching these really snobby ladies judge my performance and that was their and that was their entertainment and right at this moment where i had maybe one of the best crowds that i've ever had right at this moment this manager of bono's um restaurant comes riding by on a bike and i see him ride around the back of the audience and look at me and then he made a u-turn and he came back and he rode up behind me and he goes just come in tomorrow. You know, he said, wow. just come in and play tomorrow lunch. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I started playing and, and, you know, that's amazing. Yeah. It was, it was, that's it so was cool. Just great. And did you two ever come in and like, you get to perform for him or who? You two. No. Um, you two. Yeah. I used to see, um, I used to see the edge. Nice. The edge would come in. Right. And yeah. I used to see him and I used to see, um, Jim Sheridan, the film director and, um, and then one day, I looked up and I was eating my free meal before my show. And I looked up and there was Bono walking in with Michael Stipe. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, that's REM and, and <laughs> U2. And then behind them was Michael Mills and The Edge. And then every guy, all, the, all four guys from REM came walking in with all four guys from U2. That's and they crazy. walked past and their, and their girlfriends and wives they all walked in and they went up to the second floor balcony yeah. VIP place 
and I did my show, and the wives all came out to the balcony. They were hula dancing and mm. doing their thing. <laughs> and then at the end, uh, afterwards, I was I was hanging out, and they and uh, Bono came up to me, and he said, "Fair play to you, mate." <laughs> fair play to me and at first I thought oh how dare you really fair play to you oh really and I fair play fair play to me mate fair play to you mate fair pl- what is what, what, fair play and I thought oh that's a compliment <laughs> oh that means good job yeah and then and then Michael Mills said um, he goes hey he goes you ever hear of Pat Paulson I was like yeah Pat Paulson and I'm I'm like grew up you know in the 60s watching laughing and and smothers brothers and yeah. all this stuff and i said yeah and he goes pat paulson tells this joke he goes hey uh uh you know what a wahini is and and then you say no what is it no what is it it's what you put on a bahun with my hustard <laughs> <laughs> so, and it wasn't it wasn't sort of like it wasn't sort of like the humor of the joke as much as, as the fact that the Bass player of REM is telling me is telling me, is telling me a joke <laughs> with a Hawaiian hapahali theme. Yeah, <laughs> so That's so funny. It's pretty awesome. Is it true? Also, I read that Ben Stiller was there one night. Oh and yeah, you got him on stage. Yeah, how did and, you get him on? I, I'm super shy too. Yeah. Usually, I'm really shy. I shy away from these situations. But I was on stage and my adrenaline was pumping, mm-hmm. and I sort of felt like I, you know, I commanded the space. And he was sitting right down next to the stage, and I said. And the, and the thing is, like, this was, I remember it was New Year's Day, and it was 1995. Wow. So I don't know if he had, if he had been in... That's like Cable Guy time, I think. No, for really? Or maybe a little bit before. Because cable, cable Guy is directing, right? Yeah. And he directed that film, and, and the, no, it's not. I can tell you definitely it's not, <laughs> because it was January 1st, 1995. And I had felt like he was not well-known, a, fa- a well-known face so that I didn't feel as obnoxious to call yeah. him out, you know? And, and the reason I know it's not Cable Guy is because when, when he came up and sang two songs with me, and, and I just felt like, I felt really good about myself. And, and I felt like he was a great guy. Yeah. And he had a great sense of humor. And um, I called him Chicken. I said, hey, <laughs> you're that, I said, you're that guy. And he goes, what? I go, you're that guy. And nobody knew in the room, nobody knew what I meant. Yeah. And he's like, uh-huh. And so I said, come on up and sing a song with me. And he goes, no, 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 no. And I go, what are you, chicken? chicken? And I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> I guess in a way, yeah, I guess it's obnoxious. A little bit obnoxious. But so he funny. came up and we sang Istanbul. No way. That's uh-huh. so cool. And then, and then I sang, I started playing Take Five on the piano. There was a piano behind me. I started yeah. banging on the piano. It was great. It was just fun. And I did run into him once in Los Feliz. And I said, hi. Uh, and he remembered that night. Did he really? Yeah. <laughs> he's, got, he's, he's really sweet, you know? Yeah. The reason I know that it was before Cable Guy is because I always told myself that I would love to be able to say hi to him and thank you to him if I ever ran into him. Mm-hmm. I was driving up Beach Boulevard, Boulevard once in my hometown, Buena Park, and there they, this film crew was at Medieval Times. And oh. it turned out it was, <laughs> it was Cable Guy. Yeah. I didn't know until the movie came out that he was the director of Cable Guy. Yeah. So, oh man, that would be I was, really cool. He was in my hometown, and I would have <laughs> probably been totally out of place to say hi. But. 
I I, I I like I like his stuff. I like the work he does. He's so funny. Yeah. Lo- I love his... the original like Ben Stiller show. I thought that was oh, yeah. the funniest thing. Yeah. And and his, and his lineage, his family, his dad, oh, yeah. his Jerry mom Stiller and dad. And everybody, yeah. It's just neat. It's just neat to to see a family have They're a tradition. All hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's so cool. And and it goes back it goes back to the golden age of television and just it's neat, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm just sort of like I just know the older I get the more I love the, the, the idea that we can actually preserve um, the roots of, of television and, the, and, and see that, that comedy, you know, the origins of comedy sort of like still exist in yeah. what we see today. I love and it. A lot of, especially their stuff is like still hilarious today. Like it still yeah. holds up yeah. in comedy. I love seeing things like George Carlin in a suit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love seeing Lenny Bruce. You know, when he was just doing straight jokes, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just great to be able to see that stuff. You yeah. can, you know, get on YouTube and you can just learn. Yeah, I saw some Lenny Bruce stuff in the, like, in the early days. I was like, oh my God. Ah, <laughs> just you got it. a tattoo on your arm. <laughs> what are you going to do? You can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery. <laughs> ah! And it, it's funny, like this laugh. Ah, he sounds like a seagull. I cannot believe how fast he talks. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's so great. I would love to. I would love to sort of write out something someday, read it, and then have it turn up to Lenny Bruce speed. You know, walking down the street, walking down the street, you see that smiley Hey, hey, he's a cop. He's a cop. You don't go to the cop and say, "What are you doing?" He's like, he's like, say, the cop. I go to the cop. Thank you, mass man. The cop. <laughs> no, yeah, he did have two speeds. It was like really what incredibly the? fast, and then he'd slow down. It's like, hey, cat, like super, <laughs> so like funny. back and like jazzy. I love that. But to go like into comedy, you're like starting out in comedy too. You did the Groundlings, right? Yeah, I studied the Groundlings. That's so cool. I just started at the Groundlings. You did? Yeah, I'm taking the uh, first class right now. I have a claim to fame, which I love. I, I love this. Um, my my teacher for my first class at the Groundlings was Mindy Sterling. No way. Mindy Sterling is Dr. Evil's um Significant other, yeah, the mother of his child. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. I love. That's I, so cool. I, and and you know what? It was um, it was such a great it was such a great environment working with her and and the way she um, she just made everybody feel really uh, empowered. I love that. I love I love when you can be creative and be nurtured. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be about the bigger picture it was just fun and and it was great education she was great my second and third and fourth class were taught by the gimp no way yeah the gimp wow and nobody knows what he looks like (laughs) they just know him by that cue ball yeah in his mouth and um, that was my teacher and he was awesome and I didn't know it. used to be a teacher there too. Yeah, she hit on me once did she really yeah but I was I was young and naive and (laughs) I didn't know the ways of the world. That's so funny. She just came up to you, like she was. A... Well, she was wearing leather. I should have known <laughs> a, a woman wearing a leather jacket. You know. Yeah. Wildcat. <laughs> That's yeah. so funny. Yeah. That's so cool. So you started in Groundlings, and did, was your original like goal to do comedy, or did you know that you were gonna do? Music I'm ashamed. As well? I am. Sh- I'm so totally ashamed to admit it. Uh, but the truth is, my original goal was someday to rule the world. And I wonder, I wonder how many people doing music or acting, film, directing, or anybody, how many people actually decide what I really would love to is just rule the world, you know? Because I had very high aspirations. I had very high hopes. And, and I think that 
one of the great things about getting old is that that the the goal of someday ruling the world gets tempered with you know reality and then and guess what to be able to sing to to people to be able to hear someone laugh at something you did to be able to see a child um, bounce because of excitement because of something you're doing that becomes such a the reward becomes so valuable there that that it's changed for me so you know this term journeyman is is i think a common term for plumbers mm-hmm. and electricians yeah and i think that if you can at some someday become a journeyman entertainer and i only reason the only reason i call myself an entertainer is because you get to write off more for taxes originally i would have said i'm an i said to that tax lady i said i'm an actor and she goes well i think you should be an entertainer because I do music, and I was doing music on the side. Entertainer's better, because then you just write off everything. Oh, wow, yeah. Music, comedy, acting, pantomime. Um, so, but as an entertainer, um, I lost my track of thought. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? Ruling the world. Yeah, no, the ruling the world thing. But, but, but the, journeyman, the journeyman performer, it's great. Like I, could, I can actually say that I survive on money that I make performing for people. I'm not ruling the world. I, I just, you know, I don't know. I, I, I definitely think that my work ethic is not as, as good as it could be. I'm really impressed when I see people that are, that are just very, very work-oriented. But, you know. And the other thing, too, is that um, the, as far as a work ethic goes, as far as me, social media and marketing and all those things, you know, there's something... So there's a lot to be said for the value of, of that. I think for, as, a, as a musician, I learned you know, that you, you need a product. Mm. So you get your product, and, and I feel like once you've got a product, if, you, if you're making a CD, you might have a second CD or a third CD. At some point, I think it's, it's smart to stop producing product and just start marketing what you have. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the, the line is, where the line is, and what the balance is, but... I think that once you have something to sell, you need to make sure you did as good a job of selling it as you could, you know. So everybody knows about it. And yeah. And I don't know. People would argue this point. I mean, somebody might totally disagree with me, but I feel um, in, in terms of do what you love, that school of thought, do what you love, people would say, just don't worry about marketing. Just do what you love and then do some more. Do another album. Do another album or write another you know, uh, produce another video, produce mm-hmm. another video. But I just feel like you could do that, and if nobody knows with, that you're doing it, then um, it may never, it may never get to the next level. That's, That's true. Yeah. So it's hard to do both to be creative and then have that business sort of mind and yeah. put it out there. I totally know what you're saying. That's that's. I think that's why the 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 obvious first goal should be to build a team. You know, get the agent, get the manager. Mm-hmm. Get whatever, get the lawyer, entertainment lawyer, whoever but you please, need. please, please still make more albums. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you do kind of rule the world. Like, you play all over the place. You play in Japan and, like, Europe, everywhere. I, you know... Um, How do you play in front of a Japanese audience? Like, is that um, difficult? When Do they well, understand all the jokes and... That's a, such a great question. Um, I haven't... Um, I haven't been doing it a lot lately, but I did eight months. I did an eight-month job, and I love that question because it's one of the things that I that I I felt I could make people laugh, mm. and um, and it was a treat to make them laugh. 
And I had a job opportunity like a couple years ago. And they said, but there's no script. And I mean, and I said, you mean it's improvised? And they said, no, there's no dialogue. You're going to be playing a silent character. Oh. And this character is going to work with a, um, with a character from the Cars movies. Oh. And so this character will be sort of like the, the foil for this other, it will be a car. Yeah. And I just thought, God, I would love to jump at that opportunity. And it, and it reminded me, it took me back to the Japan thing. It's like, yeah, I'm not, I, I learned a few phrases. I learned my favorite phrase, Watashi wa baka-san. What does that mean? I am Mr. Stupid. <laughs> and, and baka means, you know, stupid. Mm-hmm. And, and san is, you know, baka-san, Mr. Stupid. And watashi wa is me, I am. So I learned a couple phrases and I learned some Japanese songs. You know, but in general, the bulk of the show, 30-minute shows, the bulk of the show would be goofing around. And, and I developed the flying ukulele there. Oh, which, I love that. Yeah, the flying ukulele became like a great uh, trademark. And, and that, for the people staple. listening at home, that's when you throw your ukulele out yeah. of the audience and it just comes flying back into your yeah, head. Yeah, the that's ukulele so awesome. on a bungee cord. And I'll tell you one thing that I haven't done since 2001. Um, we were like four crazy fishermen. You know, they took the freaky tikis and they gave us different outfits. Um, King Kukulele, freaky tikis became New England fishermen in the Amity, Amityville. Oh, Josh. Yeah. That's so cool. We had lobsters. We had these, <laughs> these lob, plastic lobsters that you would see on the walls or hanging in fishnets. Yeah. And man, you know what? I got to tell you, one of my favorite things was these lobsters on the ground. If you, if you like, if you kick one, with like a, um, you know, it's like stop your foot right on the tail. Yeah. But just stop your foot. That thing will go flying about 30 feet. <laughs> and if you're a kid and you see one of these things coming at you, you just freak out. You freak. <laughs> you just jump. I used to see like these like grown men were like, whoa. <laughs> and so we were just crazy, you know, crazy. At one point, the bass player, the stand-up bass player got a bungee on his base. No. Yeah. That's dangerous. It no? was dangerous. Yeah. There were there were casualties. <laughs> That's so cool. It was but, awesome. But like it's fascinating to me cuz I mean the humor is different like it's but you yeah, found but, what's internationally funny which I think is amazing. Yeah. Like not only, not many people do that. It's like Charlie Chaplin oh, and God. the list. Really? So you're saying you have like a list like Charlie Chaplin, Who Buster can, Keaton, Harold Lloyd and like Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. And King Kunkalele. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> that's awesome. I love being on that list. <laughs> that's an yeah. amazing thing. I always try to like think when I go across these, like, what makes these people laugh? And like doing, learning through you, performing in front yeah. of people who don't understand your language, yeah. I feel like is a great way. Or performing in Ireland on the streets or in Paris on the streets. Like, there's something, I heard this from, I think Lauren Michaels said it from SNL. He said there's something to perform on a stage at a comedy club when people are expecting to laugh. But to do like SNL, like live sketch, is kind of like a street performer when mm-hmm. nobody's ready for it. And it's just, it's way harder to make that person laugh. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's such a cool talent that you've Jeez, acquired. Well, it's very nice, nice of you to say. I, I really appreciate hearing that. Um, I, I have been thinking the last couple of years about something that, that, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like um, I can actually say that even though I, I have these big ideas and big aspirations, when I think about how much it just 
it's such a treat for me to see a little kid just goofing off, just being goofy. <laughs> yeah. uh, when I'm doing a show, when I see kids just start dancing, I just think it's the coolest thing for me. Yeah. And, I, and what I feel, what I kind of sense is that I feel like I actually have an innate just sort of like joy of life. Like I really feel like of all the planets, we got the best one. We're on, <laughs> we're on the best planet. Um, it's the best planet. We, we have totally the best won. planet. Yeah. It's so awesome. And I just love it. I just do, I do really feel like um, we all have the capacity to create joy. And if it's happening, then awesome. Then you're, then you're, you're golden, you know? So I really do just feel like it's just an honor, you know, to be out there and to make, to make people laugh. So I'm enjoying it as much as anybody else. And um, I think that has a lot to do with what, what I consider with when it's working for, you know, I feel it. I feel like everybody's just having fun. It's like the, you know, it's like sometimes I, I'm, I'm trying to be funny and then sometimes I'm, I'm more just trying to be fun. Just trying to have have a good time. It's so interesting because when I watch like some of your videos, um, YouTube and stuff, I still haven't seen you live. Unfortunately, I got to come to one of your shows. One of these days. One of these days. But you're very animated and like almost cartoon like on stage. So it's like it makes sense that there's four year olds running around doing cartwheels yeah. and stuff in front of the stage. When did that even start? When did kids start coming to your shows? And did it freak you out at first, or did it catch you off guard? Like, no, I, I. I um... I don't think it caught me off guard because uh, the audience, I think what happened is uh, the, uh, the first shows that I did when I got home to America were in cafes. And, and um, I started working in Fullerton at the Hub Cafe and it had a, every other Wednesday and, and I would do hours. Like I would do these like two hour long shows. Wow. Just like boom. And I had all this freedom to, to be improvising and then I would pull out a whole bunch of list of novelty songs and then I had a whole section of the, the, the traditional Hapa Haole. So it was very, it was a Hawaiian act, but I also had all this freedom to do anything that was novelty. And then I would do a chunk of improvisation. And I started to get more involved with the tiki scene like in 97 tiki stuff and I started doing shows in Las Vegas and in San Francisco and that led to um, eventually Otto von Stroheim who had been producing these shows mm -hmm. started producing an annual event called the Tiki Oasis oh yeah in and San it, Diego yeah. uh -huh, and the Tiki Oasis which started in Palm Springs grew and it grew and it grew and now it's like in its 14th year Wow! and because I was doing Tiki Oasis in, in um, Palm Springs which ended up in San Diego, I ended up getting um, the job to do uh, the Hookie Lao in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, and wow. so that started, and that's been going over a decade now. Yeah. And the, the Las Vegas um, job, which was um, called the Las Vegas Grind, it was a one weekend show, it happened two times. I basically was um, doing this crazy show near slot machines, and this, uh, the head of security for that show is a guy who produces a rockabilly show in wow. England. Yeah. So it's the biggest rockabilly weekend show in Europe. Wow. Uh, and so he started to bringing me out to a small town in England called Camber and Camber sounds down by the dim church, the location that Walt Disney filmed the scarecrow of Romney Marsh. In, <laughs> yeah. And I have like, I have this old childhood, you know, connection to that movie. Yeah. 
So I started, so for 10 years I've been doing the, um, the Rockabilly Rave. That's amazing. And so, so what, but as far as the children coming to the shows, it's the Tiki Oasis started to expand. And the Tiki Oasis, they started providing more things like seminars and the car show and the vending. And it became much more of a family event. And um, one day I just said, you know, we ought to do a special talking tiki tour for the kids. Yeah. And that's, that started. And so for the last 10 years, I've been taking children uh, one hour for every, every weekend that we have Tiki Oasis. I take the kids around. And what we do is we get an amplifier that has a microphone connected to it and the kids see that microphone with mm. the wire connected to the amp and they see me speak into it and what they don't know is that there is a also a wireless microphone <laughs> that is going through the same speaker yeah so that wireless microphone is hidden in the back of the crowd behind the dads and the moms and everybody that's watching so i'll go up to a tiki and all the events happen around we're surrounded by tiki's yeah and i'll go up to the tiki that's over overlooking the pool and it's like might be a easter island moai head and i'll say hello uh, how, how are you doing tiki how are things and i put the microphone up to the mouth of the tiki and they will hear uh amplified response of somebody else and, talking yeah and the that's kids so buy funny. it the kids buy it and you i know, saw that video too and it's amazing it's like, so fun it's really cool because it it's really says something like that we were talking earlier about how Brian Regan and Cosby, they have like eight or nine-year-olds in the audience. But yeah. yeah. From four, you can make yeah. anywhere from four to like 90 laugh. And I think that's... I think you're coming up with a new list. Oh, really? Bill Cosby, <laughs> Brian Regan. Chaplin. Chaplin. King Kukulele. Yeah, King Kukulele. John F. Kennedy, <laughs> the Pope, and King Kukulele. It's just going to keep going. Three up. great flavors <laughs> together again. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> The Iron Sorry. <laughs> Galileo, <laughs> Albert Einstein, and King Kukulele. I like it. Dude, I like your lists. You but got it, great lists. It's great because, I mean, to go back to the kids, I feel like, how come I haven't seen you on, like, I mean, I feel like you would go great with, like, Steven Hillenburg and do something with SpongeBob or something like that. Like, yeah. voiceover cartoons or... You know, you I, I have had some close calls. And I say close calls, but, you know... Um, I've always been very optimistic, and I have. I had a friend acting a long time ago. Came down to where they they wanted her, or one other person, to be the lead on the pilot for this new sitcom, and she didn't get it, and so she was bummed out. And I said, "How could you be bummed out when you know that your talent can bring you in front of the producers, in front of the network, yeah, get you right there where they're like saying, I think we want to invest.'" A giant amount of money in in your talent and then they said okay not this time oh. I feel like that's a that in itself is a sign that you know you're yeah. you're that close you should feel really good that's a huge pat totally, on the back yeah. now I had a guy come up to me when I was performing at Tex uh, we had a Tex show for four years we were doing Tiki Tex it's a French restaurant from 1964 in Echo Park we do this Friday night show this guy came up and he said I'm putting together this show I have Tom Kinney on it no way uh-huh. the and voice I of Spongebob the voice of Spongebob yeah. and I, I want it to be you know kind of like a 50s retro looking thing and we're going to have footage we're going to have uh, you know archival footage and it was very exciting and he said because I've seen you improvise I think you would be a great guy I want you you know I want you involved and so then we started doing this thing and 
and and unfortunately he um he basically had a a, a brain you know aneurysm kind of problem oh, and he no. didn't he ended up um you know he didn't survive oh. it was a shock you know and he yeah. and and so you know when you hear people talk about close calls and stuff and i think about this great uh this great guy his name was doug whaley and he just came out of the audience and he said i really believe in your talent and i'm producing something i want to put it together and i want you to be part of that and i thought this is what i've always been you know you know like secretly hoping would happen yeah and then and then this unfortunate you know thing happened and i thought well you know what in the end i feel like hey i still feel good about the you know about his being his praise i i yeah i thought it was great that never happens really like when somebody comes out of the audience usually people yeah you have to go wait and i was there and and there i was in the backyard um of tom kinney's house at the funeral yeah and there was matt groaning and I looked at him and I go, that guy's a billionaire. <laughs> hey, I'm like across the other side of the pool from a billionaire. <laughs> and I'm like, now how do I play this? How do I play this? Okay, this, this could play out in three different ways. <laughs> I could have a black eye and a fat lip, or I might be a junior billionaire. <laughs> no, but it's just, you know, I am like, just like stunned sometimes when I... I'm in the presence of, of that kind of power, you know? It's amazing. I was on Fox Studios the other day, like on the lot, and, you know, Matt Groening has a very distinct look. He's got the little goatee, the hair parted down the middle on the sides. Yeah. yeah. And he wears a Hawaiian shirt kind of often. And you look around the studio, everybody's kind of dressed in the same way, has the <laughs> same haircut. I'm like, oh, Matt Groening, Matt Groening, Matt yeah. Groening. It's just like everybody's copying. This I guy. think he hired those guys. <laughs> yeah, to yeah. act as decoy. <laughs> to stop his fans. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it was just such a trip to see. I was like, oh, everybody wants to be Matt Gray. <laughs> yeah. But very That's, cool. It's, it's neat. You know, the guy has got a, quite a legacy, you know. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, um, he should be pretty, pretty happy with, with what he's been given in life. And, I, and, you know, you are reminding me of, of a lot of great things that I have to be thankful for. And the truth is... I think that there should be a word for, um, for, and I, maybe is there a word? Maybe I'm just too dumb to know it. For this idea of the of the dilemma of the grass is always greener on the other side, and I know the I know the the proverb. I don't know I don't know if there's a word for it that that we can always take for granted all these amazing things we have going on, and want more, you know. Right. I think and and I've I can understand why people have always you know, encouraged goal oriented thinking and wanting more. But I think that there, I think that there should be some sort of like way to, uh, you know, never stop appreciating what, what you have, what you already have yeah. while you're, while you're hoping for more. But yeah, definitely. That's some really good advice, I think. But after talking to you for the last half hour, I feel good about myself. No, I think you're a great performer, and I really look up to you. Because, I mean, you do everything I love. You do music, comedy, improv. Wrestling. And wrestling, and you mix tiki into it, which is like something I've always loved. So well, that's, that's awesome. That's I was awesome. wondering if we could play a song together. Oh, by all means. Sweet. By all means. But, uh, but I don't remember any songs except for one. What's it called? Do you know uh, 26 Miles Across the Sea? Absolutely. That's the one song I know. <laughs> oh, that was a close one. Thank God. Ready? Right, here we go. 
so far so good. <laughs> this is great. Sing it, Ari. 26 miles across the sea. Santa Catalina is waiting for me. Santa Catalina, the island of romance. Romance, romance, romance. Water all around me everywhere. Tropical trees in the salty air. But for me, the thing that's waiting there is romance. Romance, romance. It seems so distant, 26 miles away, resting in the water serene. I'd work for anyone, even the Navy, who would float me to my island dream. Twenty-six miles so near and far, I'd swim with just water wings and my guitar. I could leave the wings, but I'll need the guitar for romance, romance, romance. Awesome. Perfect. That was so much fun. Thank Nailed you so it. much. <laughs> that was great. We can start a band. Yes. Thank you. That was awesome. Um, I also wanted to ask you, you worked for Disneyland mm -hmm. when you were in, out of high school? Yeah. Out of high school? Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. That's like my dream to do the Jungle Cruise. I've always oh, wanted to yeah. do that ride. Do you know that, that ride, that has, you know, they've got some big names that were Jungle Cruise operators. Was Wally Bo one of them? Or was he, no. in, the, he was in the horse Yeah, shoot. he is the legend of the Golden Horseshoe. He yeah. was there. Not only was he there day one, 1955, when they opened, but he um, he was there three nights before that. They they did a, a anniversary party for Walt Disney. Oh, I ever heard about that where he yeah. kind of jumped off the balcony. Yeah, in. or he climbed. Down. He climbed down. I'd love to. I'd love to see that. Yeah, there's pictures of him. I think. Hanging. Yeah, that's a, I've seen that like balcony. That's a pretty far yeah. <laughs> jump to the stage. That's great. You know, I mean, I'm sure you already know this, but you know who was in the audience? A young boy who was mimicking everything of Wally Bogue? Steve Martin. Steve Martin, yeah. yeah that's he so loved cool. Wally Bogue. He thought he was like the best performer. He mentions him in a book he wrote recently. Yeah, the, yeah it's really great. You know, I, I love that book. And he evidently, um, I mean, he grew up down the street in Garden Grove. So not only... Um, not only am I a huge Wally Bogue fan, I love, I love, not only do I love the fact that Wally Bogue's routines are still funny. The way, the way he was hamming it up still seems totally accurate and appropriate and not, not, you know, like, in a, you know, not over the top. Yeah, right. I think it's just still awesome. But he does something that I think is just really gutsy and I think I have a lot of respect for he teases the kid. He gets a kid on the audience on the stage, and he teases the kid. He doesn't. He doesn't patronize the kid. Yeah. You know, he's like he's a little rough with the kid, and, and just the right amount, not too rough. But you know, I just think it's it, it's totally great for getting the adult audience right to have a little fun. Yeah. So he's not he's not milk toast and and um and patronizing, and I just think that's awesome. So Steve Martin is not only. Uh, referencing or, or mentioning Wally Bogue at Disneyland, but then he's mentioning the the Birdcage Theater at Knott's Berry Farm yep. that he performed at, and I actually broke both of my wrists, um, you know, falling off of the roof of that theater no. trying, to, trying to sneak in. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and I'd love to think that maybe Steve Martin was doing a performance inside while I was breaking in. Oh, wow. But that was actually probably a little bit after. It was definitely after he was gone. Yeah. I broke That's my crazy. wrists at Knott's Berry Farm probably at, at, the, at the height 
of Steve Martin's stand-up success. So we're probably talking like 80, yeah. 81, around that time. That's amazing. She's yeah. trying to sneak into the birdcage. It's funny, if you, it's funny to, for me to think about it because uh, my first job, my first job was working at Movieland Wax Museum. Oh. So I across so I, from medieval times. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I've had kind of a, a, a sordid, you know, roadside attraction career in my life mm. between Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm. You're always interested. You can tell. <laughs> As I just like to quote Prince when he says, "Life is just a party, party, nighty, nighty, night." <laughs> But I never understood why the guy that sings that sounds like he has a cold. <laughs> so true. It was like you remember Ruth Buzzy with yeah. that with the, what ringy dingy, and she was like she always said that name like one ringy dingy, and then there's a guy. Life is just a party, party. <laughs> I don't get that. That's so true. How true. Life is just a party. Yep. How true. To quote Prince, I don't think anybody's ever <laughs> quoted Prince before. That's amazing. Um, not on this podcast. Not on this podcast, not yet. I like to do firsts. Yes. I like to do firsts. <laughs> Set a precedent. The bar is too high. Now. Like, do you have, like, the guy, the first guy that, it, that discovered Mount Everest? Yeah. You have George Washington Carver, who invented peanut butter, and then you have King Kukulele. Quoting Prince. <laughs> <laughs> Quoting Prince. So what did you do at Disney? What was your job? Raspberry Beret. What is it? Uh, Little Red Corvette. Little Red Corvette. Uh-huh. Um, when Doves Cry. I'm just quoting Prince, oh. and then <laughs> I'm just gonna. I think I just answer every question with a, a Prince quote. I'm, um, I'm ready to do this for the next. No, 20 minutes. it's just Prince quotes. Housequake. Housequake. Ow. <laughs> Sorry. What was the question? What was your original job? My original job was dancing. Oh, okay. So like I so I take take great pride in telling people whenever I. Whenever I almost slip and fall, but don't, I say, I used to be a professional dancer. And then I say, for $3.15 an hour, because it was like, you know, that was like an hourly minimum wage job. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, uh, I went to high school in Fullerton, which is just up the road, Mm -hmm. very close. So, um, you know, I was able to get a job. That's so cool. Dancing. (laughs) <laughs> and it's funny because like over the years just because of these opportunities I end up having sort of like a little bit of experience with dance I have you know acting training and experience I have improvisational comedy training and experience and then I'm doing the ukulele and, and it's funny I, I feel like I'm going to make a great old man <laughs> like in some convalescent home it's and, the best story <laughs> and the thing the weird thing that people is they're being like he grew up in Buena Park and he worked in Anaheim and he lived all his life in Los Angeles why does he have a Jewish accent because <laughs> I have a feeling when I'm like 82 I'm going to be well, saying yeah. so there I am I'm stuck in front of the Fantasyland castle just about we're going down Main Street and would you believe it the float breaks <laughs> it's like how does the flow break? I don't understand. No, I don't know. I'm not doing a very good accent right there. But I have a feeling I'm going to have a funny like accent when I'm an old man telling stories. <laughs> That's so funny. The ukulele string broke. <laughs> How could I know? I didn't know. I'm sorry. I digress. I often. I. 
Well, speaking of getting older, you... How dare you? <laughs> no. How you, dare you? You learned your ukulele playing at a with senior citizen groups? Is yeah. That true? Yeah. That's so funny. So yeah. you would just... There was like a group that would meet and they would play like songs from the 30s well, and 40s? Uh-huh. And they just... They're just, just so awesome people, you know? Yeah. And, and I um, I mentioned that I, that I left... I left the I left the country for about a year and a half with a backpack, and that's mm. sort of like when I started playing on the street. But but the way I got involved with that senior group is um, I basically left L.A. for a week and a week, like ten days for a trip to Hawaii, and that trip to Hawaii is where I met a guy named um, Jaybird. Jaybird. Jaybird was selling shirts at a crafts fair in Lahaina. And Jaybird is from California, hmm. and I just was walking by, and he was playing on his little soprano uke, and I said hi, and and um, he basically let me try out his ukulele, and then he said, "Listen, I have a friend in Orange County uh, named Norm Clark. Call him up because he goes to this senior center." And it took me about four weeks to sort of like you know muster up the courage to to just call this stranger. Yeah, finally did, and. Basically, I started playing with these seniors in 94, like maybe about eight weeks before I left the country. Wow. So the trip to Hawaii not only kind of like cinched it for me that I really wanted to get out of the country and see the world, that it was really good for my head during, mm. this, during this really d big depression I was in. The other thing is it connected me with the ukulele group. And so it was sort of like two big deals happening at once. That's like, yeah, perfect timing. And, like, these, and then that's, and that group in North Newport Beach, it's actually Corona Del Mar, that's the group that Huel Hauser came and filmed. <laughs> oh, wow. So he did a whole half hour about these, yeah. these people. They're just, it's just, you know, it really, it really tells you, like it shows you that when you're old, you just do what you want. You dress the way you want. You do what you, you play the music Nothing you want to play. Nothing matters anymore. It, you're allowed to do what <laughs> you, you want. Do anything you want. Yeah, and and so you don't have to feel old. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, I know you got to get going to the Disney Animation Studio, right? That's right. Um, could we just tell us a little it. bit of where you can uh, where we can find your stuff and listen to your music well the um, YouTube's a great place if you're looking up if you just want to see some fun stuff um, I, I'm you know traveling around doing these random things in you know wherever England and, and um, uh, you know Fort Lauderdale and California and we play but um, as far as the CDs go you can find uh, you can find stuff on iTunes can find stuff on CD Baby, and I just uh, just came out with a new CD uh, from Italy, and we recorded um, uh, about I recorded vocals on about five songs for a band uh, in Italy called I Belli di Waikiki. So this is a new, oh, wow. yeah, it's just sort of still just hot off the presses, and that's yeah. sort of like the most recent thing you can find. And you know, I'm out there on the internet. So that's, I mean, that's how I saw your stuff on YouTube. I actually discovered you through Jukebox, which is oh, how really? I discovered a lot of, I was at the uh, Purple Orchid in El Segundo and I was like going through the music and I was like, oh, this looks amazing. And I played that's it and I was nice. like, this is the best music. A lot of Shag fans, you know. You're friends with Shag too? Yeah. And Shag does He's album. He's my favorite. Uh, you're wearing a Shag shirt right shag, there. Yeah. And I have a Shag uh, ukulele that just came out. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's rad. He's, I think he's my favorite artist, like of all he's time. He's great, His and I'm, I'm great. really happy that 
that I was able, you know, he did our first album cover art in 2001. Wow. So he was not at the at the very very top of his game yet. Yeah. And he was, and I've known him, you know, since the 90s, and he was just really happy and and, and great to do that. And so, That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Thank so, you, so much. you know, it's great to know that that, that the jukebox of the Purple Orchid, yeah, that's tiki what bar me here in El Segundo, <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. Thank you. It's really great to meet you, and and, it's and nice I, to meet you too. Thank I feel so I feel sort of uh, I feel sort of really honored to be on such great lists. Oh, I'm honored to even be talking to you. Thank you so much, sir, for doing this. Do you yeah. think you could take us out? For yeah. A song. Sure. What song? I lied earlier about only knowing 26 miles across the sea. You know my favorite song that you do? Did you ever hear that one? No. You didn't? It goes like this. You ever hear that one? It goes like this. Did you ever hear that one? Uh, no. You didn't? It goes like this. You ever hear that one? I think so. Yeah, I thought, I thought you might have. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank what do you, you want to hear? What were you going to ask for? Because I didn't give you your oh. chance. <clears throat> it's a... Name any song ever written. Any song at all. Any writer. I think any it's the original one that you did. Name any song ever. The bitch song? I never heard of it. You never heard Don't of it? Don't know that one. Okay. <laughs> I know that one. <laughs> But are we allowed to sing? Are we allowed to say that? On the you podcast? can sing anything you'd like. This is one that the four-year-olds really like. <laughs> B is for beautiful. You know that you are. I is for incredible, my incredible darling. T is for terrific because you're so terrific. And C is for caring, loving and caring. H is for heavenly, my heavenly angel. You my bitch, you my bitch, you my bitch, you my bitch, my bitch. I told you. I want my dinner on the table when I get home from Big Lots, formerly known as Pick and Save, at 5 o'clock. I will be so mad that I will kick you so hard that I won't be able to find my food till Tuesday. You. There you go. Thank you so much, sir. Spell it out. Thank you. It was great talking to you, King. You too. Thanks, Ari. Thank you. <laughs>